You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, my next guest is someone who would be normally extremely busy at this time of the year. Not to say that he's not busy, of course. Now, that's the the Reverend Doctor uh, Ian Terry, who's the rector of the Bournemouth Town Centre Parish. Good morning to you, Ian. Hello, Blair. How nice to be with you. Now, what a year we we have we have seen, and, and I guess <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> I guess, yeah. And of course, for you, because not only are you are you heading the, the town centre parish, uh, you're in Bournemouth, but of course, you do a lot civically uh, as well. Uh, I'm thinking of things like you know when we had the Remembrance Sunday and so on. But very, very different this year. How has it Great. all impacted you? <laughs> where to begin i mean i um i think we're very much looking forward in terms of remembrance sunday to having representatives of all the faiths and others uh, yeah, you know along with the veterans meeting back outside at the memorial on remembrance sunday again um we really missed that this year um yeah, the um I was going to say, normally thousands and thousands of people, you know, gather all over the country. But in Bournemouth, many hundreds gathered in the in the, in the central gardens this year. Just a few, and and I think it was it was zoomed, wasn't it? Along with our team, I'm not quite sure how it was broadcast, but it was broadcast for people to join. We were told that we couldn't do it, um, and we re- and we questioned it. Both faith community leaders did, and members of parliament did, and. Um, and um and local politicians because somewhere um there'd been a i think a misunderstanding of the national guidelines um and so although throughout the rest of the country people were were gathering duly distanced in bournemouth we didn't this year now that's the past and i've no desire to rake over the past unnecessarily, but I think uh, I, I have a great determination to make sure that the place that faith plays within what it is to be human um, and, and the contribution that faith communities make to the well-being of community is recognised. Um, one of the one of the very encouraging things, uh, Ian, has been the way in which the community has come together. I think locally we had something like two and a half thousand people uh, from across the faith groups and indeed outside the faith groups coming to volunteer to help in some way. And, and that took the form of delivering food to people who were really in need, looking after the the most vulnerable in in society. Many of those, of course, it's incredibly important. I mean, that, that, that must have had a great unifying effect, which probably we will see very much into the future as well in terms of benefit. I mean, it's, uh, the lockdowns have sharpened my awareness of what I think others will doubtless disagree because we all come from different perspectives. But I've, uh, my, my sharpened awareness of what we're here for as church is coming close to Jesus and caring for the poor, in a nutshell, you know. And um, I think we, um, and I think it's our USP. It's our unique selling point that we that we offer on behalf of God to the rest of the world. That we we of all people ought to know how to come close to Jesus in prayer and in reading Scripture, in worshiping together. And we've got to be not at all um, embarrassed about saying this is a wholly essential part of being human. And we, uh, and we want to put that, put that up front and 
so is caring for poor and needy people and particularly at this time homeless people so yeah i'm 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 very glad that 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 has been sharpened in my mind i mean there are all sorts of things that we get you know our time and energy taken up with in churches um and they're the sort of housekeeping things the maintenance things that any organization needs but the difficulty is that any organization can become preoccupied with those maintenance things and god's mission is to have a relationship with each of us and with community and and for us to get alongside the poor and the needy that's where that's where i'm coming from and of course that there has never been a, a better time an opportunity for that to happen and, and and it's heartening that many many people have have risen to the challenge in, in terms of church life though um, I mean, when it became very obvious in March, it seemed such a long time ago, and we were heading into the first uh, lockdown, which, which of course went on for a few few months. Uh, church, of course, didn't come to a grinding halt, but there must have been a few headaches in terms of where do we go from here? How, how did you and well, your, yeah. your team approach the whole thing? Well, to begin with, we were as disorientated and shell-shocked, as it were, as everybody else was, because I don't think anybody was expecting that that the pandemic was growing as fast worldwide as it did. And then I think we got into the NIMBY sort of thing, although, well, it's other people's problems, but it won't be such a big thing for us here in Britain. And then it was, and um, and we were locked down. And, uh, and it felt, um, well, like... Uh, major dislocation um and i think we thought that well you know okay it's um, mid-march we'll be back in full operation again by easter and we were back in not quite i would say semi-operation by early july um so after a time of shaking ourselves as it were and saying well, what are we doing what's happening um we began um, recording videos of worship, um, and, uh, and we got them stitched together. And, 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 and so between mid-March and the end of September, we put a video up on Bournemouth Town Centre Parish website each weekend, focused on some prayer and scripture readings, and a minister, mainly me, because I think, you know, when when there's an emergency, you want the captain on the bridge, as it were, and showing that, um, you know, that there's a steady hand on the tiller. And so for two to three months, I, uh, I led meditations myself um, to keep worship going. And I wrote, I rediscovered handwriting and wrote three sets of 80 to 90 cards, nice picture cards, um, and put them in the post to you know to members of St Peter's Church particularly, though not exclusively, and um, saying how are you and personalising it, um, and showing people that they mattered as individuals. So all your all your pastoral responsibilities probably increased actually because people would have had even a greater need to know that somebody cared. Yes, I made a list of people whom I knew would be in particularly sharpened need. And I phoned them quite regularly and said, how are you doing? You know, and, and knowing that my basic task was to listen. Um, when you listen to people, it affirms that they're important to them. 
Well, let's have your first uh, piece of music, and I'll let you introduce it. Oh, gosh, yes. The Charpentier um, goes right back, I think, to when I was at university in Durham. And I was introduced to this gorgeous piece of music. It's it's Charpentier's um, um, music for Midnight Mass. Um, and, uh, and he did something totally unexpected musically. He wanted to relate to everyday people um, whom I think he felt were a bit excluded from some of the music and didn't necessarily understand the Latin, mostly didn't understand the Latin. And he took the tunes of folk songs, um, many of which would have been sung oh, around the places where people got together to, to relax and drink, and and, and um, some of them would have been a bit down-to-earth, a bit earthy. Um, and he took these tunes, these lively folk songs, and he set the propers of the Mass to them. Hope you like it. There we are. lovely piece of music uh, that and I suppose that that's one of the big things that people have missed you know the the corporate uh, worship being able to come together and of course particularly at this time of the year where midnight mass and of course the special um, festive uh, services that would take place at this time of the year that cannot take place in quite the same way no 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 you can't we've got to be very careful we have a you know we've done as everybody has a risk assessment and um and although although St Peter's easily holds, you know, 450, and we usually get those that those sort of numbers, 400, 450, and a few more at our at our annual carol service on Christmas Eve. This year, because everybody has to be carefully distanced, um, we can get a maximum of 70 in, which is a massive difference. So we're doing two carol services. I'm really grateful to the choir and to, to Duncan Courts and Neil Sissons, who direct them for being prepared to put in all this time. Um, and it means that, well, we'll be able to still um, only about 140 people, but that's a lot better than just 70. Um, and 
Will you be able of to? Course. Will you be able to video it, Ian? You know, so that people at least, if nothing, if they can't go in person, may, may possibly be able to to view it on YouTube or whatever I other. I think we could. Be, uh, yes, I think it can be videoed. We're not live streaming. Um, I think we've had some problems with the uh, with the connectivity. Um, yeah, with the live connection there. Uh, um, but but yes, I'm hoping that it can be videoed. Um, People, of course, as in all public buildings, will be asked to sanitise their hands as they come in and as they leave. And there's, uh, uh, there, there are um, things for that just inside the yeah, door. Of as there is everywhere, and, of course. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how will, how will, will, will people have to... Will, will people have to, to book in if they, if they want to go? How, how can they secure... It's a good question because I'm afraid the answer is yes. It goes against my instincts for mm. church for, for worship, which I think should be open to all. But in the cause of safety, for those services which lots of people want to come to, yes. Well, and 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 it will be a matter of going on to of emailing BTCP stands for Bournemouth Town Centre Parish at live. dot co. dot uk. I'll repeat that, btcp at live.co.uk. And just say that you would like a ticket, please, for the um, for the carol service. There are two of them. One is this coming Sunday, the 20th of December, at 4 p.m., and the other is at the traditional time, 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve, the 24th. So people need to say, please, which carol service they'd like to go to, the 20th of December or the 24th of December. And I don't think we shall send them a physical, you know, a, a ticket, but but they will receive a, re- receive a response from part of our admin team, and they will know that when they turn up, there will be a place reserved for them. I think they will need to look for where their name is on a pew. And then on... So that's what needs to happen. On Christmas Day, the big day itself, will you will you be having uh, mass on 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 the you know in the early hours as would be your norm? No, sadly, we um, we shall be having Christmas communion at ten o'clock on Christmas Day at St Peter's, at St Stephen's at ten forty-five mass. St um, um, at St Augustine's, we've got a Christmas Eve communion to which anyone is welcome at nine o'clock in the evening. So it's a compromise, and I think you've got to compromise in these very difficult times. Um, and St. Augustine's decided they would rather have a sort of mid-evening communion um, on Christmas Eve rather than one on Christmas morning. It was a choice, really, because um, we're a bit short of ministers as well. Lots of people are away. A few, quite some people are shielding. Um, so, yeah, there will be a nine o'clock Christmas communion. I shall be there and looking forward to welcome people warmly at St. Augustine's Church on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve. You know, you need to bring a mask to all these things. Um, and then, um, yep, that's it, really. I think the, the, the two carol services for which we do need to book tickets at on email, btcp at uk. 4 p.m. on Sunday the 20th, next Sunday, 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve. 
then the 9 p.m. service, Christmas communion at St. Augustine's, Christmas Eve, and then, the, and then two services, 10 o'clock at St. Peter's, 10.45 at St. Stephen's, on Christmas morning. And of course, all the de- those details that you just shared will be on the, the St. Peter's website, or, the, or, the, or St. Stephen's, or St. Augustine's? They, they will all be on the town centre church's website. The three churches, because uh, they're all one parish, yes. um, share, or share a website, and they're also on, on notice boards outside of all of the churches. Well, let's have your next uh, piece of music, which is uh, Blessed Be the God and Father. Do you want to introduce it? Love to. Um, this takes me back <laughs> 36 and a half years to when Lucinda and I were married in Beaconsfield Parish Church, where I'd been curate. And, and, and whilst we were signing the registers, we could hear in the background that Beaconsfield Parish Church choir with Tom Gascoigne on the organ were singing, Blessed Be the God and Father. Um, and, and there's a refrain. I don't know if this will be part of what you play, because you probably, you're probably not going to play the whole anthem. See that you love one another love one another with a true heart fervently and there's a response see that you love one another so this is very personal and precious to us Blessed be the God and Father. And uh, lovely. I just let that piece of music run there, Ian, because it was just so so lovely. Of course, music has wow. been right Strong at the heart. Music has been right at the heart. I know you've got Duncan there, who leads the choir and director of music at St. Peter's. But very well. My goodness, uh, you don't get anthems like that very often, do you? It's strong stuff, that anthem. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes again, the... Um, uh, love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's it, isn't it? That's what we're created for. Um, and we It's so simple, and yet we find it so difficult. And then the message that people need, and that I've realized that they need and that I need in these coronavirus times and looking beyond them to the spring beyond the winter, as it were, the word of the Lord endureth forever. The word beginning of john's gospel the word who was the word who was jesus who was spoken pre-existing before all time and dependable totally whatever happens yeah and of course that important stuff that bringing great comfort you know through all these things that that we are uh, experiencing if i could go back a little bit to the pastoral side of things i mean obviously all sorts of things are beginning to surface. Uh, probably one of the greatest things is is fear and apprehension. Not to mention, of course, the fact that people will be losing their 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 employment and so on. And, and as we go into twenty twenty one, you know, lots and lots of 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 uncertainties. Uh, how, when this comes, you know, across your uh, you, you know your uh, pastorals uh, talking to people and so on uh, how do you, how do you bring comfort to folk i think people need 
contact with other people. Um, it's so getting away from isolation, which becomes loneliness, which can become hopelessness and despair. Very easily you can spiral down. People need contact with each other. So creating safe places, and we want our churches to be safe places, in which people can, um, can gather to listen to God and listening to each other on the phone particularly. Talk, picking up the phone and talking to each other is important. And then I think registering the context, which is that natural disasters, as it were, dreadful things that happen, which God doesn't want in any way, but they're part of a creation that's in process and therefore messy and horribly messy and painful and dreadful, calamitous at times. History tells us that this happens time and time again, and God endures throughout. And I think people need reminding of that, and people need reminding of their worth as individuals, because people can start to feel alienated from the world, from dislocated from their previous habits, out of touch with others, and that very easily spirals down into, well, nobody cares about me, into, you know, a kind of rampant paranoia, and um, I don't matter at all. Nobody cares whether I live or die. Now, those are the sort of things that people get into. And then what happens after death? And one tries to say, well, we, we, we are created by a God who is about fullness of life, which God wants for us in Jesus here and continuing beyond when our body wears out you know it is something that that god wants for us here and now and thereafter it's not um it's not only after death um so choose for fullness of life now and fullness of life is always going to have to be reached for um it's there as an invitation and we have to do our bit and reach for it and want it i say yes Yes, please. Um, amidst unpropitious circumstances, and that's a very polite word, unpropitious, for all this dreadful mess, personal suffering and um, economic disaster, employment, people's personal savings, and all those things. In the midst of all that, people need to hang on to their worth as individuals. Remember in St. Luke's Gospel, the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, with the all-forgiving Father. That all, everybody, matters, and God goes out to search for the, even the most unlikely person, which is what in our bad moments we start to think each one of us is. Now we need reminding, I'm sure, that everybody suffers in the same way, uh, that we all start to think we're the odd one out. It's part of our, it's part of our broken human condition that we start to doubt our worth, you know. And God doesn't want that. Until God is about hope, comfort, and joy. 
Of course, last year you, you began some deep research into into homelessness, and that, of course, led to you bringing a number of people together to discuss the issues that were coming out of that. And this is something you want to continue, isn't it, as we go into uh, to, to 2021. Uh, what were the main... F- yes, I was... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was... Um, so, uh, I was reflecting upon what I was doing as a parish priest, and I decided to submit myself to the you know to the discipline of being supervised and uh, and corrected and led in 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 good academic directions to to be rigorous in my analysis and in my thinking by some really excellent people um in my case it was professor neil messer and professor andrew bradstock who supervised me at winchester university and the entire degree that i was doing took between six and seven years it was a um, doctor of, of of theology and practice and i'm looking forward to claiming that degree they've told me that i've been awarded it and i'm just doing the final tidying up um, and yeah, that's between six and seven years I've been working on it and involving a lot of people, your good self included, Blair, from all the churches and other faith communities and council representatives, um, university representatives, representatives from Bournemouth Collegiate School, where I'm chair of the local governing body, and so on, um, in looking at how a parish church can work with partners, and I've just mentioned some of the wide range of partners from the commercial community as well, um, for the common good of the town, particularly focused on homelessness. There's been a very rich project to be involved in, and it's made some really good friendships that are becoming partnerships. And of course, although we can't sort of meet in person and have some lovely coffee in case of your your lovely coffee shop down there at St. Peter's, I guess again... Excellent thing, and Chris Bain has been doing good things there. But And hopefully maybe next year we'll be able to do that again. But of course, you've got some interesting topics yeah. for discussion next year, the, the ethics of protesting. Well, I'll let you tell folk what's coming. Yeah, we have, and last year... Um, and it was clear that uh, we wanted to partner with other people, and, and it was Dorset Police, particularly through then Deputy Chief Constable David Lewis, who had great enthusiasm for it, and also uh, Detective Chief Superintendent Ben Hargreaves. David's since retired. I wish him a very happy retirement. Ben, Le- ben Hargreaves is still very active, and he's coming on board on Sunday to read a lesson at one of our car- at our carol service on the twentieth. We look forward to seeing him, and he's worked with me um, on putting together these ethics forums, as have people from the university, particularly the School of Social Science, the School of Nursing, um, and um, yep. A wide range of people, really. The ethics of protesting, and that's going to be, we're going to kick off. We're totally online, um, and what will happen is that we will need people to, uh, we will put up an email, and it's go, that's going to be organised by Dorset Police. Uh, an email would, will be advertised, and you can write in and say, yep, I'd like to be given the link to go online live and be able to ask, listen to and ask questions at the, to these discussions because we will have a, a range of probably four panel members with a chair who will discuss each time. 
and then the discussion will be recorded and will be up on YouTube afterwards. Yes, it's, so the first one is going out live at 3 o'clock on Wednesday the 20th of January and looking at the ethics of protesting, as you were saying, um, because in the light of Black Lives Matter, and yes, of course they do, um, as indeed all lives matter, um, but one wants to redress the balance and have a compensatory emphasis sometimes. Um, uh, so that's looking at what ethics are there about, how you, ex how you express your disagreement and your protests. Um, and then on Wednesday, the 27th of January, Big Brother, Big, Big Brother say it properly, um, <laughs> rules. Um, telling the story the only possible way. Um, is it ethically justifiable to attempt to build communities of character? Now, uh, my position is up front. I, as a Christian, believe it's not only ethically justifiable, it's actually necessary, and we need to wait on God, and God has shown us absolutely massive amounts in the scriptures about what it is to build a community of shalom, of peace and fullness of life and mutual respect. And, and I think these days there's a tradition of building a community that serves the common good, that isn't just, in terms of democracy, satisfied with the majority, because that always leaves a disadvantaged minority who are further disempowered by the choices of the majority, whether the majority wish it or not. So yes, the common good get, tries to get everybody together and say actually everybody's voice is important. And then are there limits to democracy, we're going to be asking on the 3rd of February. You know, if we attempt to be utilitarian and please the majority, what happens to the rest, as I was saying just now? Uh, what about truth-telling and communications? I mean, we have representatives of our, of our local press. Um, uh, associate editor of The Echo, Andy Martin, is coming on board for that, and Mike Apps, who's a BBC television reporter. Um, and Rabbi Morris Michaels will be on board, because, of course, Jewish communities have often been the victim of other people telling their story in ways that gaslight and disadvantage them. Well, a lot of wonderful things happening. Sadly, we've run out of time. We'll have to get you back, and maybe we could have some of those discussions on air. We'll have a chat about that. That would be great. This is Hope FM.